I actually you have went through a thing in my life where it's like, oh, I'm not going to be alive soon. I was diagnosed with something that ended up not being what it was, but the original diagnosis was wrong. And it had uh, like a one-year life expectancy. It's like, I'm going to be dead soon. And once you go through something, but thank God it was wrong. You know, yeah. um, once you go through something like that, it makes you realize life is so short. But plus, I just saw so many people die. And and so I've learned if there's something I, that I do that I'm not committed, that I don't love, I'm like you got to drop it like a hot potato. Hi, my name is Carolyn McClanahan, and I'm the founder of Life Planning Partners, and I want you to steal my strategy. You're listening to Steal My Strategy, the show where we talk to smart people who invite you to copy, review, and remix practical ideas you can apply to life and business. Are you ready? Let's get to it. So really happy to have you here today, Carolyn. It's an outstanding privilege to have oh, you as a guest. It's an honor to be podcast. here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, you know, I didn't know for sure if you'd be available because I know you're in demand, <laughs> but I appreciate that you took time out. You know, it's amazing when we, we start looking at all the things you've accomplished. It, really, it's amazing. I mean, these aren't my words, but people have called you an icon, an innovator, women to, one of the women to watch, a mover and a shaker. Uh, you're on more noteworthy lists than almost anybody I've ever seen because of the amazing work that you're doing. And so it really is a privilege to be able to talk to you today. Oh, you are making me blush. And it's an honor to be here. The thing is, is that I'm grateful I have something to add to this profession. And it's really, to me, the work. And thankfully, um, I think I do an okay job at helping people understand those intersections in health and personal finance. Well, you do. And it's amazing because you have such a unique perspective as somebody who's both a medical doctor and a certified financial planner. And, and I would love for you just to, for a way of introduction, for those who don't know you, how did you get to this point to become all of these things, such a, a thought leader in this area and have this breadth of experience that you have? Well, you know, it's very interesting. I never, if you'd asked me 20 years ago where I'd be today, I would have never even dreamed of this, of, of what I'm doing now. You know, I became a financial planner because my husband and I tried to find a financial planner. He was an engineer and hated his job. We were in our early 30s and we had um, had inherited a little bit of money in the mid-90s that we had turned into a nice little pot of money. And it, it was his his inheritance. And we tried to find an advisor to tell us, can he switch careers? Because he wanted to be a track coach and a photographer. And I'm like, honey, I'm not going to support you. You know, <laughs> so we, big change. Yeah, big change, especially for you know when you're in your early 30s like that. And so we um, interviewed these people, and they called themselves financial planners, but they, all they really cared about was investments. And many of them didn't do any financial planning at all. And, mm -hmm. and so or they were just salespeople. And this was in 2000 now. And so I went back to school for fun to learn how to be a financial planner for us. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And then I fell in love with it. And I'm like, wow, there's a huge need for this, for people actually being having a financial problem solver. And I just so when I started, I had. Um, no plans to have a big practice or anything. And I found NAPFA, the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. That group helped me so much in getting my practice started. All those people, those members are just fantastic. We all lift each other up. And they taught me so much. And so I started my practice in 2004. And I was in a study group. And so this was like 2006, 2007. I put together this little talk for my study group on how to help your uninsurable clients get insurance. 
and, you know, things like dressing up your medical record and, you know, making certain people aren't, don't have labels that they don't know about from a health perspective. And the advisors that I, t that I were in my study group is like, wow, you need to give this at a conference. So I gave it at a regional conference and then I was asked to give it at a national conference. And before you know it, I'm speaking everywhere. And I also am heavily involved with healthcare reform. So I read the Affordable Care Act. You know, one of the, not many people read the entire Affordable Care Act, but I figured somebody in our profession needed to understand what was going on with healthcare reform. So I read it and did a talk on it. That went wild. And so that's how I started with all that. Meanwhile, my practice, things I just learned in medicine that, because being a financial planner is pretty similar to being a doctor. You're just taking care of the finances instead of the health. And so I took right. a lot of what I learned in medicine in medical practice and incorporated that into my financial planning practice. And my practice just took off and it's, it's been fantastic and it's an honor to be where I am now. Well, that's an amazing background and it makes a lot of sense why you're doing this, but, but you're really in an enviable position. I mean, I, I don't think many advisors can say that they have more clients than they can handle. I know you have a wait list. I know you're not taking on more clients. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm sure a lot of it is because of this expertise that you have, which you've, you've positioned beautifully. How did you decide to integrate the actual financial planning and personal finance piece with the healthcare piece, which I know is, is a massive part of, of what makes you so unique? Well, to me, health is so important in so many aspects within financial planning. You know, I, I'll never forget going to an AICPA meeting a, a long time ago, and this um, speaker was saying, you need to plan for all your clients to live to age 100, no matter what. And I stood up in a huge audience. I said, what if they're 450-pound diabetic who smokes? He said, same thing. And I'm like, that's so wrong because you're, you're health, that person needs to be doing something to improve their health and or if they're not going to improve their health, they need to be spending a lot more money enjoying it because they're going to die soon. And, right. and, and, you know, right. it's things that people don't want to talk about. Sad reality, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And always, and so I learned, and one of the things I talk about in my, in my speeches is we need to plan for who people are and not who they want to be. And so I just kept bringing more of what I learned in medicine about, you know, being realistic about conversations around health, being realistic, and it helped with like conversations around spending. And so all these little nuances where health does make a difference, it just made it easy for me. So I wanted to take that out and teach other advisors because it's such an integral part of our life. We can't exclude it and just focus on the numbers. Yeah. So, so how do you think advisors are doing with this topic today? Oh, yeah. I'm, it's, it's, you know, the advisors who are doing real financial planning, so seriously getting in the weeds on things like spending, cash flow, and understanding a client's goals. What are their dreams? You know, do they, what are, what are they happy now? So finding out what a client's motivations are and really figuring out who they are, those advisors who are doing that real planning are embracing this and doing a great job. It's the people who went into this and, and they just are really focused on investments. They're focused on the numbers. Maybe their version of financial planning is just doing a retirement projection, which to me is not real financial planning. They're having a much harder time embracing this. Yeah, understandably. So do you think perhaps part of the reason is because of education? Maybe they're you know, intimidated by this or afraid to breach the subject? And if so, what would you say to them? 
Yeah, I think they're just uncomfortable with it. And it's funny since I'm on both sides of, you know, when you're a doctor, everybody likes to tell you all their stuff, right? You know, I'll, I'll have people t- start talking about their prostates to me in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's amazing what people will tell you when they're comfortable. And the key is, is for that advisor to be comfortable. You know, you ever notice how old people talk about health all the time and they talk about, you know, all their, (laughs) their problems with aging and people talk to each other about health issues and they're not doctors. Why can't advisors have that conversation? And the key to making it easy is just open up the conversation with something very benign. And the, the question I teach advisors to ask is, tell me what you do to take care of your health. And, and that, that, and once you start doing that and you realize people aren't afraid to share, it just gets easier and easier. And I have a whole list of things that advisors need to think about so that they can make that conversation a useful conversation for them and for the client. Yeah. Do do you think this is a conversation that advisors should always be having with every new client they take on just as part of the process? Oh, absolutely. You know, because how are you going to plan correctly? You could have people walking around that look perfectly healthy. And so you're doing this, you know, these projections for age 100 and, you know, you're planning for these long lifespans. And you may not know that they're an alcoholic or that they have serious risk factors for some disease. And it you're not going to learn all that in the initial meeting. This is why financial planning is an ongoing process. One mistake I see advisors do is they do financial plans to get people in the door, and then, then they get those assets under management, and then they never revisit the financial plan. And the most important part to most clients isn't how much money am I making, it's how am I doing? And, and so it may take you, and it takes me, even as a doctor, it may take me a year or two to figure out that a client has some significant issues that we need to address by, but by gently and over time having those conversations, you're going to learn those things and you can change lives. And if you've made, if you've taken somebody who is in a bad situation and you've changed their life, you have got a client and a family for life. And so I, I have, I've had a number of clients who had significant issues that were just painful issues. And by, by opening up the conversation, and I don't deal with them if they have, but I get them the help they need. And so, so the person who was a closet alcoholic, we, we got them into therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like that, his wife is like, thank you, thank you, thank you. So it's in any lay person can do that. It's just caring about people. It's not trying to fix their medical problems. Well, that was that really leads into the question that I had for you because in my mind I'm thinking, okay, Carolyn's obviously passionate about this. She knows it. She understands it. But is this something anybody can do, or do you have to be a Carolyn to do this? But you, you're saying it doesn't have to be that way. No, you just have to be have strong communication skills. So, full disclosure, I used to teach the bedside manner class at University of Florida. And many, many, many years ago, and and the key is, is a lot of people are just afraid on, on about having hard conversations. You know, in financial planning, a good financial planner is going to have hard conversations around more than just health. It's going to be around spending issues. It's going to be around bad investment decisions. And so if you can become very skilled at hard conversations, you are going to be an excellent financial planner. And there's a book I recommend to all financial 
financial planners. It's called Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. That book changed my life. Like, you know, I forget when it came out a long time ago, but the information is timeless. And so learning how and practicing hard conversations, that just opens many doors for you. Yeah, yeah, that's excellent advice, and thank you for telling us about that book as well. So, so this is obviously a core element to your practice. You do have this very busy, growing practice. Is this a contributing factor? Is this part of the reason, or is it other things that are related to how you run your business that you could share with us? Gosh, to me, everything adds up. So there's a number of things that I think we've done well from the beginning that, that really helped. And that's number one, we embrace comprehensive financial planning. People want problem solvers. And it's really interesting. Our, our investment philosophy, we're totally passive. And, and I have actually a, C, a wonderful CFA that does all the investment management within the firm. It's all in-house. But we're very strong upfront about how we manage investments and what you can expect. And, we, and Tim does just a fantastic um, education up front. And then he becomes the loneliest guy in the practice because everybody is so comfortable with their investment policy and how we manage the investments that after a year or so, they never call him. And he always reaches out and, and says, Here, here's, here's, and we don't even do um, performance reporting which that floors wow. a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. And, but we do goal reporting, you know, how are you? So we do projections and how are you, where are you on track to meet your goals? And the investment part for us is easy. And just like I have said for a long, long time, investment management is becoming commoditized. I, you can read my writing from a decade ago. I said, this is going to happen. If you're not doing financial planning, you're going to be in trouble. So we, we go in depth on tax planning, estate planning, insurance planning. And we don't sell any products. We're totally fee only. And, and we're the client's advocate. We're their fiduciary. And so they know when we tell them, you need this insurance product, that there's no underlying motivation. The other really smart thing that we did early on is that we charge based on complexity. We don't charge AUM fees. And that floors a lot of people. And it's like when, when I did this, so I, I, when I first opened my firm, I didn't know any other way. So I did AUM fees for like the first couple of years. And I thought, this is really stupid. It, you know, because we, I have some people little money that need a lot of help and some people a lot of money who don't. So I, I went to complexity-based fees before, you know, many people had thought of it. The, the ACP, the, the Comprehensive Planner Group, they've been doing it a long time and they do it slightly different than I do. But that, that was huge because that attracted what, what is now our niche client, the millionaire next door who's become too complicated to do it themselves well anymore. So the do-it-yourselfer, which a lot of advisors don't like that group, but I love that group. They love our transparency. They like our flat fee structure. And again, it's based on complexity. And they love that we're doing that financial problem solving that they no longer felt competent to do because they had become too complicated. And, and Carolyn, you also said there's another thing. Yes. Yeah, so the last thing that we did to me that was so invaluable is we created client engagement standards. And what these do is they spell out everything that we deliver to clients and also what we expect from them for us to do a good job for them. So some of the examples of what we say we deliver is that we return 
all phone calls within a day and all emails within two days. Except we actually do much better than that. And I totally believe in that thing of under promise and over deliver. Right. And and so thing so we spell out everything that we do. And then for their part, it's things simple things like um, you must you must um, return materials to us within a timely fashion. You know, so like if we ask for things like tax returns and all that. And a big one we have is we only take nice people. So <laughs> that that weeds out a number of um, physicians, but yeah. in general, it, everybody we have they know the standard of behavior that that we deliver and what we expect from them. And so that's been so invaluable. We lose very, very few clients. And in fact, we've lost uh, more clients to death or marrying a mean person than we have to people who we parted because we didn't agree. Yeah. Those are excellent approaches. And I really appreciate your sharing all that transparency into how you run your practice, Carolyn. Uh, When we think about the, or we look at your practice, I probably should say, from a distance, and we look at you, we see a tremendous amount of thought leadership that you're doing. You have your column in Forbes. You write for financial planning. You're, you've, you've done a lot of interviews. And so we know you're very busy, and you're also running this practice. And I think a lot of advisors are intimidated or feel like they just don't have time. How can they go out and, and build a big personal brand and produce thought leadership and still run their business? So my question to you is, how do you accomplish all of this? So you have to understand who you are first and always be your authentic self. So if you don't have the talent to do speaking or writing, don't try to make yourself fit into something that you're not. But ideally, you've gone into financial planning, uh, into financial services because you're passionate about something. So you have to display that passion to everybody and and know that that you're they need to know that you're genuine and coming from a good place. I love what I do and I know that that shows and and it was a lot of it was it was painful early on because you're right how do you do all this stuff? And I was very fortunate in that I I got a business coach very early so that's another recommendation I totally believe in coaching. And and so she, the big thing that she said, now I know all coaches say this, but it's true, is you have to identify what do you love that you're really good at? What, do you, what are you okay doing that you're probably good at, but it's not like your highest use of time? And what do you hate that you hate doing? Mm-hmm. That you're not, and you end up not being good at it. And you have to hire those things out. So like my first hire, I actually hated doing investment management. So my number one first hire was hiring Tim, and, and you know he's been fantastic, been with me from very, very early on. It's one of the smartest things I did. And then I just started picking those things off. What do I not love doing? And then hiring somebody that that's what they love doing. So that's freed up my time to do these other things. That is such good advice. Absolutely. So if somebody is just starting out, and they're looking at you and where you are today, and they, they know that it's going to take many years to achieve any type of of exposure and notoriety for their unique specialty, whatever that is, where should they start? Well, first off, they should start sharing what they're doing. You know, when I started, they didn't have things like podcasts or all that. So, so the way I got out there is one, be involved in the profession. And, and so go to conferences, be and, and volunteer for your membership organizations like NABFA, FPA, AICPA, because when you're in leadership and you're going to national things, that gives you a sense of credibility 
that you're out there learning and trying to do better. And then find ways to share your passion. So if you see a journalist who's writing an article on something that you feel you can speak strongly to, write them an email. Journalists love to hear from you, right? Is write them an email saying, I love this article. There's this, there's this other thing that you might want to think about. And of course, always be friendly and put it in the positive. And then that by reaching out to journalists with actually valuable information instead of this interview me, interview me. Right. Um, yeah. When you're reaching out with valuable information, they're more likely to reach out to you when they need something in that realm. And what I and it takes a long time to do earn to get earned media. That's what it's called. And and so it took me one, I was very fortunate in that I had NAPFA. Because NAPFA, you know, we had press requests and things, and I would answer some of those. And when you learn how to work with journalists well, then they want to work with you. They're on deadlines. So you've got to honor that. And, and so you have to understand what their goals are and help them do a great job. And for me, the reason I do all that is not because I want to be a media hound, but I want them putting good information out there. So anything I can do to help them would be great. So learn how to work with the media and reach out from a sense of purpose, not from a sense of, of trying to get stuff. And finally, don't be attached to the outcome. Don't think just because, oh, I did this, that they're going to call me. You may never hear from them, but everything adds up. And is you just keep putting yourself out there with good things, then it's eventually going to come back to you. That is excellent. That is actually solid gold business advice, Carolyn. Oh, Thank you're so, so sweet. Much well, well it's just, it is. It, it makes so much sense. And it's evident that you're focused on what you can give not just what mm-hmm. you can get. And that's right. a that's a, a really key factor, I'm sure, in your success because people sense that from you. Your clients sense it from you. The industry senses it from you. And it's such a good example of leading the way to, to really Thank do that. Thank you. And I, I don't want to take credit for that, though, because um, it, it was Cheryl Holland and NAPFA who, who taught me that. that. That was back in 2004 or five. And she said, because she was this very successful planner, she still is very successful planner in South Carolina. And she just spoke at these conferences and she just gave all her stuff away. You know, I came from medicine, which was very cutthroat. And I'm like, wow. And then she says, you, the power of abundance, the more you give, the, the more you receive. And, and I embrace that. And, 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 the, and I don't want it, to, it, it's not because I wanted to receive things. But and but what you receive is just this joy of making a difference, and, and that enough just made it worth it. But everything else came along with it too. Yeah, it's it's very true. Well, yeah. Anyway, we we benefit from it. So thank you for sharing that abundance with us too, and with all well, the listeners. <laughs> so so Carolyn, if if somebody's listening to this and they're they're hearing you talk about the way that you've managed your practice and all the things that you've done, and and perhaps they're concerned that they don't have time to do all of this? Because it sounds like it's a lot of work that you've done. And evidently, you're a hard worker. Many advisors are, but they struggle with the competing demands of running their businesses. So right. how, do you, how do you time block? How do you make time for all of this? I mean, you've got the business to run, you've got employees, you've got clients who need you, and then you, you've got to answer to reporters. It's, it's very hard to balance all that. How do you do it? So the, the key is truly hiring the right people. And so learning how to put the right people in place to do the things that you shouldn't be doing. So if you're, you know, when I first started out, I was doing everything. 
And ideally, you're being successful enough that you're starting to earn money. And some of that you need to plow back into your business. I hired people before I could afford them. Mm. And mm-hmm. it, and that was – and so I started with a part-time person and eventually – so I actually started with the office manager first because you know, that's a lot of stuff that advisors just shouldn't be doing. And then – but my, my first like real – big hire was the investment manager and that just that just opened everything up you've got to invest back in your business and then you do have to be very focused about how am i spending my time and learning to to not say yes to everything and the, the so my business Tracy Beckus was just like a fantastic business coach she said saying yes to things you don't want to do is saying no to things you want to do so don't say yes to everything that walks in the door. You have to stop and say, is this my higher, you know, going to serve the higher purpose? And if, would I choose this opportunity if I were, if it wasn't asked of me? You know, so is it something I would go, wow, to myself? And, and so you've got to be very, by. yeah, yeah. So you just have to be very thoughtful about what you commit to and also be willing to walk away from things. So if you if you're doing something, and this comes back from my in, in medicine, you know, I, I saw a lot of death and dying, and I actually you know, have went through a thing in my life where it's like, oh, I'm not going to be alive soon. I was diagnosed with something that ended up not being what it was, but the original diagnosis was wrong, and it had uh, like a one year life expectancy. It's like I'm going to be dead soon. And once you go through something, but thank God it was wrong. You know, yeah. Um, once you go through something like that, it makes you realize. Life is so short. But plus, I just saw so many people die. And and so I've learned if there's something I, that I do that I'm not committed, that I don't love, I'm like you got to drop it like a hot potato. I, I think that's excellent advice. In fact, I don't even know after everything you've just shared where we could possibly go. But I can tell you have so much value to deliver, Carolyn. And, and for those of you who are listening and want to get to know Carolyn more, learn more about what she does – uh, we encourage you to please go to her website, Carolyn McClanahan, uh, connect with her on social media for interviews, for speaking, for other things. Carolyn, before we conclude, is there anything else you'd like to share with this audience as, as a takeaway or something that's been key to your personal success? The most important thing is have fun. And if you're not having fun, find the next thing. All right. Well, we love that. And, and we're absolutely going to do that, Carolyn. Thank you for that advice. And everybody uh, who's listening, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Please share it. We'd like to also thank our creative team at Snappy Kraken for producing the podcast. And uh, we certainly uh, want to wish you uh, days filled with true wealth and good health and uh, more insights from smart people like Carolyn. Thank you so much, Carolyn, for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you.